Well, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn in it to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're continuing our series on walking by the Spirit, which is something that the Apostle Paul said we ought to do in Galatians chapter 5. And we are looking right now at specific spiritual gifts, different abilities that the Holy Spirit grants to believers. And the one that we come to today is known as speaking in tongues. That's perhaps the most unusual and the most debated of all the spiritual gifts. And so that makes it tempting for a pastor to just skip this and go on to something a little easier for himself. But we can't really do justice to the whole counsel of God if we ignore something that basically there's an entire chapter of the Bible about. And so, we want to hear from the Lord on this today. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 14, going to read a pretty big chunk of it, verses 1 to 28, and then skip to 39 to 40, and then we'll pray. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... If, you, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. 
Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for unbelievers. Not, is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Skipping down to verse 39. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. We ask that this morning we will do all things decently and in order. Lord, you're a God of order, but also a God of mystery. Would you show us how to bring order and mystery together today in this gift, which is so hard to understand? Would you bless your people, Lord? It is your heart to do that. You sent Jesus to the cross that we might receive life, and that comes in the form of gifts among other things. So, Lord, would you bless us this morning with the gift of illumination and understanding and a heart to obey and to desire what you want us to desire. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last year at the Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference, Jared Mellinger, who is the senior pastor of our Philadelphia church, related this story. One Sunday morning during the service, someone came up to the elders and said that they had a tongue to speak to the church. The tongue was then given and an interpretation followed. All was done decently and in order. However, after the meeting was over, a member came up to Jared and said, I've decided to leave the church. When asked why, he said, I knew that the church believed in tongues for today, but I never thought it would actually happen. <laughs> I think that describes the attitude of many people toward this gift, maybe even among us. No gift has a greater weirdness factor <laughs> than speaking in tongues. No gift will get you labeled as a crazy charismatic more than this one. Many would be quite comfortable never hearing or speaking in tongues, even if we believe, as we do at this church, that this gift is still for today. But friends, the Apostle Paul does not share that same attitude toward this gift. He said in verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. In verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Verse 39, do not forbid 
to speak in tongues. Those are not the words of some kind of delusional, emotionally driven experience seeker. Those are the words of somebody who is seriously committed to sound doctrine and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. This is the guy who wrote Romans. (laughs) And he says, I want you to speak in tongues. Apparently, sound doctrine and speaking in tongues are not antagonistic to each other. They can coexist. More than that, these are the words of God himself. Because in verse 37, Paul reminds us that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. What I hope to do this morning is explain the gift of tongues so that we will earnestly desire it as we are instructed to desire in verse 1. We'll talk about its right practice. We're going to talk about its benefits. And we're going to remember that this is a gift from Jesus Christ, our Savior, who loves us and who is building his church up with gifts, including this one. And just for full disclosure, there are many people in this church who have this gift. I am not one of them. Not because I don't want it, at least not now. after studying it and being convicted and realizing that the main reason I have not pursued this gift is because of the weirdness factor and because of bad experiences and because of pride. And I mean to repent and to pursue this gift. But I just want you to know that I don't have it, which limits me somewhat when we talk about experiences, which is why I actually sent out an email earlier this week to find out what people who have this gift do experience. We'll come to that later. Let's look at chapter 14. Let's see what God has to say to us through a series of questions. The first question is this, what is the gift of speaking in tongues? What is it? Let me offer a simple definition. Speaking in tongues is the ability to speak in a language that you don't understand. It's the ability to speak in a language that you don't understand. That it's a language is clear from the text. The word tongue in Scripture, it means this organ in your mouth, but it also means the language or the speech that comes from that organ. In verse 9, he says, With your tongue you utter speech. To speak in a tongue is to speak in a language that has words sentences, and meaning. But in this case, it's a language that you don't understand. This is clear from verses 2, 9, and 13. Verse 2, One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Nobody understands. The meaning of your words is a mystery. Verse 9, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? It is language that is not intelligible to us. That's why in verse 13 he says, therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Why? Because if there's no interpretation, nobody can understand So speaking in tongues is the ability to speak in a language that you do not understand. You are speaking mysteries. Now, before adding more, 
to that definition. Let's just stop and admit, that's a strange gift, isn't it? (laughs) Why in the world would the Lord want us to speak in a language that we don't understand? I'm tempted to think, Lord, what were you thinking (laughs) of all the things that you could invent as gifts to the church? Speaking in a language that I don't know what I'm saying just doesn't seem like it's that important or helpful. There's some strangeness to this. I understand the value of mercy and generosity and teaching and other gifts, but this one... I don't even know what I'm saying. What's the value there? We're going to talk more about the value, but here's something that occurs to me, why God might give this gift to us as one of them. Could it be that God has designed tongues specifically to challenge our tendency to lean on our own understanding and not on God's wisdom? The very nature of it challenges us to lay down our pride that says, if I don't fully understand it, then I won't pursue it. Lord, unless you answer all my questions, I will not follow you in this. It seems to me that this gift exists, maybe primarily to make us exercise regularly the same yielding, submissive faith that we must also exercise to be saved in the first place. What is salvation if not embracing the foolishness of the cross? To be forgiven your sins and to be accepted by God, you must believe that there was a man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago who was God in the flesh and was crucified and killed and that that man is your Savior. You must believe that he rose from the dead of his own power, that he is now judge and ruler over the universe, even though you've never seen him. That's why Paul said in chapter 1 of this letter, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You have to embrace the foolishness of the cross by faith. Even though you don't see it, even though you don't fully understand it, even though you have unresolved questions, the Lord calls us to trust in Him and His wisdom and follow by faith. The gift of tongues requires that same exercise of faith. There's a certain foolishness to making sounds that you don't even know what they mean, so you have no choice but to trust God that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, wiser than the wisdom of men. We have to be willing to be fools for Christ. That, I think, is probably why this gift exists, among other things. Let me ask a different question. If a tongue is a language that we speak but we don't understand, where is it coming from and what are we saying? (laughs) Where is it coming from and what are we saying? Let's go back to verse 2. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now, that's an encouraging statement right there. Because even though you don't know what you're saying, and those who might hear you don't know what you're saying, 
there is someone who knows what you're saying, and that's God. The reason Paul says you speak not to men but to God is for or because no one understands you. No human understands you. Only God does. I think that's encouraging because it means this isn't really foolishness. God knows what you're saying. Communication is happening. This isn't gibberish. This isn't a waste of your time. This is a form of prayer just as speaking to God in your native language is prayer. But where is the language coming from? What's the source? Well, the answer is your spirit enabled by the Holy Spirit. It's your spirit enabled or empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 2. He says that the tongue speaker utters mysteries in the Spirit. That means somehow God the Spirit is involved in this. This is a Holy Spirit-influenced activity. You do it in the Spirit as opposed to in the flesh. This is something that you can do because you are born again by the Spirit. His life is in you. You were once dead, now you're alive in Christ. And now this new person has come into you, his life is flowing from you, and it enables you to have this gift if God gives it to you. This is an extraordinary thing. But it isn't just the Holy Spirit taking over, so to speak, as if you have nothing to do with it at all. Your spirit, that is your immaterial you, distinct from your bodily you, but integrated with it, your spirit is active in this as well. Paul says in verse 14, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My mind is unfruitful, meaning I don't know what I'm saying, but my spirit is praying. In other words, when speaking in a tongue, you are not like a CD player. A CD player, you stick something into it and it's and out comes exactly what you put into it. The music is coming from somewhere else. But you're more like a cello player. You're still making the music, though the inspiration is coming from somewhere else. It's very much like the work of sanctification, becoming like Christ. It's both you and the Spirit both involved. Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So you work it out, you seek to live the Christian life, but the reason you can do that is because God is at work in you, enabling you. You're working because He's working. Same thing with tongues. Your spirit is praying because the Holy Spirit is enabling. That's the source of this language. Now, what about the content of the language? What are we saying? Paul gives us categories in verses 14 to 16. He says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So there we have prayer. What are your English prayers like? Okay, that could be the content. Your spirit is praying here. He goes on, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So it can be praise, even singing praise. 
He goes on, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So here we are giving thanks. That can be the content, giving thanks to God. So speaking in tongues can be prayer, praise, or giving thanks. Whether it could be more than that, I'm going to come back to later when we talk about interpreting a tongue. But it is surely what is often called a prayer language in which you pray not to men but to God. Only the Lord understands it and he receives it as worship. Just as he receives prayer, praise, and thanksgiving in your native language as worship. And this makes speaking in tongues a godly thing to do. It's something that pleases God. Now, I think it would be useful to comment here on some of the questions and disagreements that people have about the nature of tongues speaking beyond what is clear from what Paul says here. When you start to get into all the details about what's happening in tongue speaking, there's by no means a solid consensus among all the smart guys, even the ones who all agree that this gift is for the day. When you start to dissect it in its tiny parts, People aren't completely in agreement on what that is. For example, um, is tongue speaking what Romans 8.27 means when it says the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God? Is tongue speaking the perfect prayer that when you don't know what to pray, you pray in the Spirit and it is exactly the right prayer because the Spirit is praying according to the will of God. Is what Romans 8.27, is, is it saying that? That's a question. Here's another question. It's from Ephesians 6.18, where Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit. Does he mean that praying in tongues is the weapon of choice, so to speak, in spiritual warfare, which is what Ephesians 6 is about? Um, that we struggle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Is he saying, well, the way you do that, you know, the killer app is praying in in tongues. Is that what he's talking about? Well, those and many other questions are issues where there's not a consensus. Um, If the smart guys don't agree, I'm not going to be able to tell you for sure what the answer is either. The fact is, we're never going to be able to remove all the mystery from this gift. We are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. We just aren't going to get all the details we want on this. And again, that's why this gift challenges us to exercise faith. When we pray in a tongue, we have to trust that God is enabling it, that God understands it, that God receives it, and that God will act on it. I do think it's safe to say this. You can't go wrong by speaking in a tongue if it's the legitimate gift. You can't go wrong. It will never replace your praying to God in your native language because Paul says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Tongues doesn't render your learned language obsolete, but you certainly can't go wrong by praying in the spirit. 
there are ways to misuse this gift that don't bless other people, but you need never fear that you're saying the wrong things to God. God is in this gift. Let's move to another question. How do we use it? How do we use this gift? There's two ways that we can discern from what Paul says in chapter 14. There's the private use and there's a public use. Let's start with the public use. That's going to be the less common one, but it gets the most attention in chapter 14 because the setting, the setting that Paul is speaking into is the gathering of the Corinthian church. And they were, frankly, kind of really going on the deep end on this one in their use in that church. So Paul has to come in with correction about their public gathering. And so a lot of this chapter has to do with that. Here's part of his correction, verses 26 to 28. He says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So, speaking in a tongue is something that has only a limited application in the church setting. Two, or at most three, are allowed to give a tongue. Now, in our setting, that would represent a major increase (laughs) in tongue speaking. Um, I've been a pastor here for 10 years, and it's never happened on a Sunday morning that I've been here, I've only heard it one time, and that was outside of this setting at one of our Friday night worships in September. Um, So two or perhaps three is way beyond what we're used to. But in the setting that Paul was speaking into, that represented a major restriction, a major reduction. For them, it wasn't two or three. It was 20 or 30 or maybe 100, and apparently all at the same time, Because he says in verse 23, if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? And that's exactly the setting in which I was first exposed to this this gift. I was at a church service where everybody, it seemed like, was speaking in unintelligible languages at the same time. And I think that set me back like 15 years for wanting to pursue this gift because I thought, well, if that's what this is, I don't see how that's useful and I don't want it. That's my sinful reaction, not what I should have said. But nevertheless, I thought they were out of their minds. Notice, though, that this misuse of the gift did not lead Paul to say, don't ever use this in a church meeting. Instead, he says, just keep it to two or at most three, one at a time. And if there is no one to interpret, then keep silent in the church. Why? Because his major concern for the church gathering is that all things are done for building up. And it doesn't build up for people to hear a language that they don't understand. They're not able to give their amen to what you're saying. A tongue given in a church setting is not unedifying because it's weird. 
it's only unedifying because you can't understand it. That's why in the gathered church, especially on a Sunday morning where unbelievers might be present, you don't give a tongue unless somebody can interpret it. And the interpreter could be you. Because he says in verse 13, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. It is possible to give the understanding of this unknown language if God gives it to you in the moment or if he gives it to somebody else. Because interpretation of tongues is also a spiritual gift listed in chapter 12. So tongues at a church gathering has a limited application. It's never supposed to be or become the focus of our time together or the thing that we get most excited about. If it happens, it has to be in the context of other gifts, and I would say primarily teaching needs to be there because of Paul's emphasis on that other places. Let me just say one more thing about interpretation before we go on to the private use of tongues. The question arises as to what the interpretation is likely to be in a public setting. How can we know that the interpretation is right if we hear it. Most of the smart guys say tongues are always God-directed, always man speaking to God and not man-directed, God speaking to men. They say that it will always be in the form of prayer, praise, or thanksgiving to God because as, as we've seen, those are the categories that Paul gives us and it's what he seems to expect when he says in verse 16 that the outsider can only say amen to your thanksgiving if he knows what you're saying. So if interpretation comes out as prayer, praise, or thanksgiving to God, there's a good chance that that's an accurate interpretation. And I have to say I'm inclined to agree with that. However, I'm not sure this closes the door to the possibility that it could be man-directed. In verse 2, Paul says, The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. That's usually taken to mean tongues are always addressed only to God and not to men. But I find that unconvincing because Paul explains what he means by this. He says the reason the person is speaking not to men but to God is for or because no one understands. In other words, you are speaking to God not because your words are only addressed to him, but because he's the only one who can understand them. The content of the language could be something that's man-directed, but will only be spoken to men if someone can interpret it. I think we have an example of that in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 is the only report of the content of of a public tongue in the Bible, so far as I know. And what is the content? Acts 2.11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. When the Holy Spirit filled the believers, they spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem, what people heard was their own languages being spoken, human languages that they had never learned before. 
lots and lots of different people who were visiting Jerusalem. Their native dialect was being spoken all of a sudden by these disciples who had been filled with the Spirit and tongues had, had been given to them. So human language is, is one possible kind of tongue as well as non-human languages. But the content of the languages that they heard was telling the mighty works of God. That doesn't sound to me like it's only God-directed. That sounds very much man-directed. It sounds like, hear this, you people of Jerusalem. God has brought salvation into the world through his son, Jesus Christ. God has defeated sin and the devil. That would be declaring the mighty works of God. I don't think this text prevents us from reading that into it. It isn't necessarily just praise. Now, granted, it was a unique occasion. It wasn't a church meeting. It was the beginning of the new age of the Spirit. But I've read enough credible reports from reliable sources that suggest this kind of thing hasn't gone away. Craig Keener, who wrote this heavily researched and enormous four-volume commentary on Acts that we used in our Acts series a while back, uh, reports several modern-day instances of tongues um, that are in many times known languages but unknown to the speaker. And those tongues often contain things that are directed to man. Um, one example is his wife knew this uh, pastor from Congo who went to Sweden and preached a sermon in Swedish, though he didn't know Swedish. Um, another guy was quoting Philippians 4, 4 through 7 in, fl- in fluent Nepali, though he didn't know that. Many, many other things that I've read that were firsthand accounts of this happening. So on balance, it seems like the interpreted tongue should be God-directed prayer, praise, or thanksgiving most of the time. However, since we're dealing with mysteries, we should probably leave the door open for the interpretation to be man-directed at times. And it comforts me to know that Wayne Grudem leaves that possibility open in his systematic theology. (laughs) I didn't come up with this myself, only. However, no matter what the interpretation is, just as we have to weigh prophecy, and we have to weigh this, because every every interpretation comes through a person, and that means it's not infallible. And we have to weigh it just like we would prophecy. All right, let's talk about the private use of tongues. This is going to be the most common use of it. We know that because of the implications of what Paul says in verses 18 and 19. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So let's think that through. Paul speaks in tongues more than any of the Corinthians, and they like to do it a lot. I don't know how he knows that he does it more than them, but he thinks so. But he says in church, he doesn't make that a priority at all. I'd rather speak five words with my mind to instruct people than 10,000 words in a tongue in church. So if he's speaking in tongues a lot... But in church, he doesn't do it much at all. Where is he doing all this tongue speaking? He must be doing it in private. 
It means he's praying, he's singing, and he's praising God in tongues as part of his devotional life. No interpreter is needed. He can just use this gift whenever he wants to. And he thanks God that he does it a lot. So apparently speaking in tongues is a very good thing to do on a regular basis in your devotional life. It's part of how you draw near to God. I want to say more about this under our last point, which is about the benefits of this gift. The last question is, how is the gift of tongues good for us? How is it good for us? How is it good for your private devotional life? Well, we have this from verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Builds up himself. That's not a rebuke. That's a statement of fact. It edifies the believer who uses this gift. It imparts to you some blessing that together with all the other gifts, enables you to carry out the Christian life. Now, as I said earlier, I don't speak in tongues, so I can't tell you from experience just how speaking in tongues builds up a believer. The most novice tongue speaker can say more about this than I can, but that's why I sent out an email on Monday asking people, tell me about your experience. How, is, how does it bless you? When do you do it? And why? Several people responded, Their experiences were not all identical, but one thing was common to everybody. They all said that praying in a tongue allows them to pray when they don't know what to pray or how to pray. In other words, it removes a limitation that I think we all experience in prayer. Sometimes we just can't think of what to say to God. You might be praying and your mind wanders, you get distracted. Maybe you're physically tired, you're ill. Maybe you have something or someone on your heart, you just don't know what to ask for their situation. Sometimes you've prayed all that you intended to pray, but it seems like you're not finished. There should be more. If you can only pray with your mind in your native tongue, then you can't go on. But if you have a tongue, you can continue. When you don't know what to pray, you can always pray in a tongue if you have that gift. And what people find happens as they're doing that is they receive various forms of blessing from God. Here are are some of the things that I heard. It It encourages me, refreshes me. My prayer times are longer. I seek God more regularly. It comforts me, brings me into a more, relation, more intimate relationship with my Heavenly Father. Sometimes I feel like I have a prayer warfare tongue. I feel that God is using me. There is more of a boldness, peace, and encouragement in my soul after I use the gift. When I keep rehearsing my sin in a condemning way to get out of that pattern of thought, I will use this gift, and it seems to break that downward spiral. There are times when I have been praying in tongues that God will encourage me with a vision or with special wisdom about a situation. That's our own church's experience with this gift. And I'll add one more from a missionary's report just to open up our minds to other possibilities. There's a woman named Jackie Pullinger. She's been working with heroin addicts in Hong Kong for about 50 years. She's seen many conversions 
but when they're trying to withdraw off heroin, it's incredibly painful and unbearable, and that's why a lot of them would, would want to go back to use again. Sam Storms reports about her in his book on spiritual gifts. Here's what he says. It was her custom for her new converts to be filled with the Spirit and to receive a prayer language. They always did. But then she observed that when the pain of withdrawal would begin, it would just as quickly end if the individual would begin praying in tongues. I don't know the connection between those two things, but that's empirical evidence, and I'm a scientist. I like evidence. That happens. <laughs> the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. What that looks like for each person is not the same, but what I think is the same is that the same Savior is granting to his people some token of his love through the indwelling Spirit. Is that worth earnestly desiring? I think it is. God says it is. <laughs> and that's what I want to close on. When Paul said, I want you all to speak in tongues, he wasn't kidding. It is good for you. And when interpreted, it's good for the church. It's something the Lord offers us to help us live out this Christian life. So here's my closing exhortation. Consider what is keeping you from desiring to speak in tongues if you don't. I don't say that everyone will receive this gift because Paul affirms in chapter 12, not all speak in tongues. You could want the gift and not receive it because it's the Holy Spirit who decides. But I think the opposite is also true. You may not receive the gift because you don't want it. I encourage you to ask God that you may speak in tongues, which is part of the blessing Jesus died to give us. There's no formula on how to receive it. The people that responded to my questions didn't have all the same story. But surely praying for it is a starting point. So Dan and I are going to be willing to pray with you if you'd like to have us pray with you for that gift after the meeting. And those of you who are tongue speakers and want to join in on that, praying for people, um, join us up here. We'll just pray. We're not going to coerce, manipulate, or anything. We're just going to ask God because this is something that He says we should desire. And may the Spirit distribute this gift as He wills. He may, he may distribute that today after we pray. He, you may go home and pray. You may have to keep on praying. I don't know. But it starts with earnest desire. Let's pray. You do work in mysterious ways, Lord. Mysterious ways. You don't reveal everything to us. You make us walk by faith. And we ask for your help to do that. If it's your pleasure, Lord, that someone may receive that gift among us even today or many of us after today, we ask you to do it. We ask you to give us the uh, putting to death of our pride and the willing submission to all that you might have for us. And not just for new and interesting experiences, but because we want to grow closer to you 
And we want the blessing of knowing you intimately. And we want power for ministry, for walking in your ways. So, Lord, would you work that in our hearts today? Thank you for Jesus who makes it possible. In his name we pray. Amen.